Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Uh, welcome to episode 201. Today, uh, we're joined by Jonah Rader, who is the founder of Pizzazz. Um, so Jonah, I'll let you kick it off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys are building with Pizzazz? Sure. Thank you, first of all, for having me here. It's, it's a delight. This is one of the first uh, interviews that I'm doing about this project as this week is our launch week. Um, but yeah, my name is Jonah Ryder. I'm the founder and CEO of Pizzazz, which is a consumer goods technology company looking into superior alternatives to energy drinks, energy shots, all sorts of consumable energy products. Uh, and what we're launching with this week is a caffeinated breath spray, the Pizzazz Energy Mist, which is the most portable, sustainable, shareable, fun, safe, healthy, and super effective way to power up wherever and whenever you might need to. So Jonah, why don't you give us a little bit of background um, about yourself? And then I know because you're leading into launch, uh, one thing we'll definitely want to jump into in this episode is everything that goes into building a brand like you guys have done. But before we get into too much there, why don't you just give us a little bit of background about yourself? Um, I know you've been, worked in the media and the food space for a while, and now you guys are building this really exciting brand in New York. So why don't you take us back in time a little bit um, to what got you got you going on this journey? Sure. So I've spent all of my professional career in food, beverage, hospitality, almost exclusively focused on the very high end of that category. Um, I studied economics uh, in college and I was really interested in business and business organization, but I was uh, turned off from the professional opportunities of banking and or consulting or whatever that seemed to naturally come from it. Um, and I ended up turning to cooking and embracing a, a passion that I've had for my whole life around really creating food um, and serving food to people in social ways. Um, and I launched a supper club that I ran for many years in New York. And that kind of turned into a bunch of different projects, a, a plethora of, of varied work all around kind of high-end social culinary uh, activations, consulting, and some media work. So for the past couple of years, I've been writing a food column at Food and Wine Magazine, all about kind of hosting at home, um, preparing interesting food and serving it well. Uh, I've done, I've continued running my supper club and doing private events. And then I've also done a bit of consulting with uh, food, beverage, hospitality brands, 
helping them with everything from formulation development to packaging or marketing, go-to-market strategy. And the whole time I was really seeking a project that I would be excited to launch from nothing. Um, and I knew it would be in the loosely in the food and beverage space. I wanted to make something consumable that we ingest. But I was increasingly uh, tired of the monotony of a lot of new food and beverage brands that I saw launching. Very few of them spoke to me, but more importantly, it seemed like very few of them spoke to almost everyone that I know. I don't think, and this is a hilarious admission to make since we're on the D2C podcast, I'm not sure that I've ever bought a food or beverage product from a brand's website, that I've gone on a brand's brandswebsite.com, checked out, entered my credit card, and a box of some snack or drink arrives at my house a week later. I shop online, for sure. Uh, I, I shop direct to consumer too. But it's always for items where there's a ton of SKUs. I want to pick out my size, my color, whatever. Um, and I just honestly don't think I ever have for food and beverage. I buy almost all of my food and beverage products, uh, or really all of them, at stores. And they might be like high-end grocery stores. They might be the bodega around the corner, a gas station. That's where the vast majority of my snacking consumption happens. And I felt like the more people I talked to, the more it was very widely true. And, um, and then it seemed like, hmm, who is ordering all these new direct-to-consumer brands? It seemed like it's mostly relatively affluent 30-ish year old folks, very much like a in investor psychographic of people who would back these types of brands. So I started to feel like from a distribution standpoint, like D to C was getting a bit bland going after a similar, uh, like millennial, likely a bit more affluent and certainly just psychologically prepared to buy food and beverage from a brand's website. Uh, they're going after that customer. And I wanted to make something that certainly would be sold D to C. We would it would have a digital presence as any brand should, but I needed it to be omni-channel and to create a brand where any digital activity that we do was there to support an omni-channel uh, distribution and and, ex- and it needed to be an accessible product and something that you could buy it online from the brand store. You could buy it on Amazon. You could buy it on GoPuff on DoorDash. You could buy it at a gas station or a vending machine. So. This and this is you know, and I haven't even talked at all about from a brand side of things, but just the way that a lot of these companies speak about uh, tr- the products that they sell and the messaging behind it, I, I also found very valuable and sometimes resonant for me, but quite monotonous. I didn't want to make a a matte packaging wellness product that was you know a functional creativity tonic or calming pill or, you know, whatever. I wanted to make something that would be so obviously actually functional. You wouldn't have to really over message it. It would fill an obvious need. So I started walking around to every bodega in New York. I mean, I visited like hundreds of convenience stores near me. um, And I was just really interested in, from this vantage point, looking at what was on the shelves and, you see almost no new brands and most of the new brands that you do see 
are on sort of a gentrification station of like that one shelf with all the new expensive brands. Um, and so I was really interested to find a category that did not speak to me, not, not a food or beverage category that I've been passionate about my whole life, but a category that I thought was in particularly dire need of something new um, and something where if I created an alternative, it wouldn't land in that shelf of all the new fancy products, but it would really sit like an, uh, like an authentic, actual omni-channel product. Um, and this is how I became fucking obsessed with energy drinks and energy shots and the whole energy industry, which is a huge one. Um, I use caffeine every day. I was only drinking coffee. I had not really purchased energy drinks. I definitely had not purchased an energy shot. And so it was just amazing for me to uncover this category where there's basically one brand taking up 90%, at least 90% of uh, you know, energy shot, portable, instant energy. It's at every store in America. Their sales are down 90% in the last decade. Zero Gen Z consumers are really buying it. I've never bought one. No one I know has ever really bought these energy shots. It tastes bad. It makes you feel bad. And I became obsessed with creating a energy product that I actually would carry in my pocket, purse, backpack. Yes, I, you know, I prefer having a like delicious pour over cup of coffee when what I want is a beverage to sit on and like have that moment. But I knew that there was some, there, there was some imaginary energy product out there that was that portable, instant, low cost, accessible energy product that I would actually be happy to have in my backpack or purse or pocket and, and use in all the moments when I wanted caffeine and the effects of it, but either couldn't have or didn't want a beverage. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 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 ironic enough that like, even though that's what's going on with like the energy shots, you know, five hour energy, I think they sell over a billion dollars in revenue a year. And, you know, it's also funny that they, you used, to. That they used to, they sold about 140 million last year. That's crazy. I mean, it, but it is, it is true as well that like, you know, it's a funny concept of like buying snacks or food and beverage like online because you usually you're typically craving something you're in the mood or the vibe for like a specific snack and like buying that online it's just like so detached from what you're craving at that moment you know sometimes like you know you might be craving peanuts or you might be craving gum or like and it's like you know you're gonna buy that online to stock it at your house it's you know it's not like a a a, a purchase where you're like trying to experience something based on a craving. So, you know, it seems like you did like really good, you know, you have your go-to-market sort of nailed and like you approached this whole analysis with like clearly experience. And then you mentioned you had experience in go-to-market and doing consulting and go-to-market. So like before we dive into like how you're actually taking this into market, like can you talk us uh, through you know, what was like your go to market experience? What were some of your favorite projects um, that you worked on um, in the past when you were doing consulting and, and go to market? Sure, sure. So I think I've really enjoyed working. So most of most of my consulting experience working with food and beverage brands would would almost always be so sometimes it would be really small projects that friends would be working on that I'll help with. And that's almost always like formulation taste development. Um, I think I enjoyed mostly working with big brands like 
a beer brand that must go unnamed because of some NDAs or whatever. And, and like thinking about, okay, they want to launch like a new flavor of, uh, or a new style of beer. Um, what, what is the plan here? And I always found it really interesting. Whereas in the world of high end cooking, it's always, it's about almost nothing else than presenting the chef's personal taste, like uh, manifesting that as this consumable dish. And all that matters is like, uh, executing your vision as best as possible. Whereas what I liked about working on, you know, a new beer flavor or skew for, for a beer brand was thinking about, okay, like, you know, obvious, obvious questions to anyone who's been in business development for, but for consumer goods, I had not at that time, just really sitting and thinking, who is this for? What do they want? Where will they buy it? Why would they buy it at that moment? What function does it serve? And walk, working backwards from all of that to propose, okay, I, I think the taste, the flavor profile should be such and such. And the labeling that we should go for is such and such. And, and the stores we should go for are such and such. Not because I think this is the tastiest flavor of beer or these are the coolest stores to shop at or whatever, but because it, 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 it meets the needs of the project. And I found that... I guess sort of a refreshing way to think about creation in food and beverage because I had been working mostly from on my own culinary pop-ups and collaborations and projects only on things where it's it was much more uh you know presenting a dish that would be my, my justification for it was I think this tastes great and you know if you don't like it I don't care um so I found it refreshing to to think about go to market just from a customer consumer community satiation perspective um and i think working on a couple of projects i don't know doing that like i was i was working for like the united the united states like association of like mango importers you know like like big like association or like milk or whatever and if they had some initiative they were working on i always find it really refreshing in moments of my life where mostly what i was doing was cooking really fancy pop-up dinners or doing one-off projects or making really delicate flavored things. I always found it very satisfying to work on a project where we'd say, okay, before anyone chimes in with what they think is the coolest, best thing to do here, let's just align on what the purpose is here and and whose, whose lives we're trying to improve and how uh, through taste and consumables. Yeah, and I think it's really important to in any business, but especially when you're coming up and creating a new kind of category and going to market to really understand who your ICP, your like initial customer, your ideal customer profile is and how to work backward from there to like solve some sort of problem for them. And I think the way you, you guys are thinking about this is really cool. Um, and then Jonah, I know you have extensive like experience. I know you did some writing for food and wine and um, some stuff with like the Food Network and the Supper Club. So why don't you tell us, why don't you give us a little bit of insight into like some of those projects and what it was like working in the, the media side of things in the, in the food world? I've loved working in food media. I think uh, an arc of my career thus far in professional interests has been <clears throat> exploring how to scale my passion for food and beverage and consumables because um, I love doing 
fancy food like and having cool little pop-up dinner parties but the the point of them the joy of it is that it's not scalable at all it's the exact opposite of scalable and that's how it should be the point of a great dinner party is that no photo write up recording of it will will ever even remotely get to the the pith of what's going on um that you have to just be there eat a dish you consume it uh you enjoy the people you're with and and that's that so i think my my career and sort of professional paths that i've explored have all been around thinking exploring how to how to scale that and and share my passion with more people and improve uh you know impact the the most folks that i can in terms of their consumptive habits um so i found media a rewarding way to do that where you know instead of trying to open a restaurant i knew i did not want to open a restaurant uh, it just wasn't uh, appealing for me at, at thus far at any moment in my life um and that's one way to scale but still it's not there's always some limitation to exactly what you mean when you say scale you, it's, it, there, there are few efficiencies of scale in the restaurant world. Um, I loved how media, I could, instead of serving my food to a thousand people, I could write about the joys of, of food and consumption and reach a thousand people easily. Um, and they would then in their own day-to-day life, uh, perhaps um, utilize some of the topics or strategies I had, I had written about or shown in a video. So I, I enjoyed that about media. Um, and I certainly hope that for, for the rest of my life and my whole career, I'm, I'm always working on a melange of, of in-person intimate culinary projects, um, of, you know, more media based messaging around food and beverage and storytelling narratives around food and beverage. But I was feeling, uh, partially unfulfilled by not having a, uh, a business project to work on and a company to build, um, it's, it's something that I wanted to do. And so I'm, I'm really glad to be, to have been working on Pizzazz for the last year and to be launching it. And it feels uh, very satisfying for me to now have these, these three different ways that I've engaged with a passion for food and beverage, literally cooking small dinners, writing about food and beverage and, and food and beverage brands and reaching a larger audience and then building a brand myself that uh, I aspire to, to impact many, many folks. So what is it that got you tipped over to, you know, wanting, wanting to start Pizzazz? Like, what was the thing that made you say, that's it, I'm going for it? Because I knew that I was, I was waiting to find an opportunity like this to stumble on something where I saw a category that was so, so incredibly uncompetitive to my eye with a, with a comparatively much lower bar to succeed uh, to, to, to win on all sorts of sales channels. Um, something that I would be able to commit to indefinitely, um, because I wouldn't be just pushing my, my own personal individual opinion of what's great, but could build a team and rally it around an undeniably huge opportunity. Uh, and I found that in the energy category, and I knew that this would be a business that I could build. Um, it, it, you know, it was a process to think about, well, exactly what energy product do I want to make? Who's the team I want to work with? How am I going to sell it? But when I started walking around at these stores and seeing, um, the monotony of, of 
energy drinks and energy shots, which had never really appealed to me. They, they didn't really appeal to most folks that, that I knew. Um, they were either super kind of comically macho legacy brands, or they were that, that chic, uh, fancy new age wellness alternative to it. Nobody had made just the, the fun effective, but of course, like safer, tastier, healthier, more effective, optimized version of it. But in an, in an authentically omni-channel next generation way. Um, and I, I don't know, I just became super excited about it. There's, I've been working on this for over a year and, and now I've uh, been lucky to meet tons of people who are working on all sorts of awesome projects in food, beverage, and, and, and otherwise. I remain to, to find another category that I'm as excited about as the energy sector. So Jonah, why don't we go back? Cause so you've been working on this for about a year, right? Um, why don't you take us through everything that goes in to, from the time you said, okay, now I'm moving forward on this. I like the idea of energy. What were all the things that you needed to do um, up to, you know, fully decking out your workspace, which, I, which we'd love to get a quick tour of after this, but what were all the little inputs that went in over the last year up to your launch day? So I knew I was going to build an energy product. Um, it was going to be consumable. Um, it might be a drink or a shot, but I was not at all commit. You know, I was open to considering all sorts of other more experimental form factors. Um, and I knew it had to be the same way that shots represented a huge improvement to drinks for a certain type of uh, customer and community, I wanted to create something that would be unprecedentedly more portable, uh, more shareable, more sustainable than anything else on the market. And I started looking at all sorts of form factors and talking to tons of people and building essentially focus groups out of uh, folks that I knew and even better folks that I didn't really knew like friends of friends um, and really understanding what are people's consumption habits in this category. Cause then I started uncovering a lot of people who did actually buy energy drinks or maybe a shot um, always with a deep sense of shame around it. Uh, and you know, they would buy it sometimes, but it, it would be an understatement to say they had no brand loyalty. They were buying it out of a, out of a, you know, a need for energy um, and just feeling like, well, I don't want like a hot steaming cup of coffee right now, nor like a giant iced coffee from whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to get an energy drink or an energy shot. Um, I quickly decided that I didn't want to just slap a new label on a drink or a shot. I wanted to really reimagine the form factor because I thought that, it, it, there were a lot of functional usage improvements to make. So many people were telling me, well, you know, I might have an energy drink, but they're so freaking caffeinated. I'm going to sip on it over the course of hours at my desk, or I'll have like a third of it. And then I have to go run somewhere and I just throw the rest of it away. Um, I mean, a million use case issues that were coming up. So I knew I, di I didn't want to make a drink pretty quickly. And then I started looking at all the energy products that exist that are not drinks. There's gum, there's bars, there's um, lotions that you put on your skin. I mean, there's a million, a million energy products out there, gummies, uh, powders, pills, um, all sorts of things. And nothing was 
was lighting up for me, nor the the folks that I was taught, all of the friends and friends and friends that I was talking to, um, nor most importantly, the retailers that I was visiting. You didn't really see any of those types of products really crushing on the shelf. Um, I saw, then, then I was looking at, so I was looking at like, sort of micro-dosed caffeine and the efficacy, because a lot of, uh, almost any energy product that launches now has some sort of claim around no jitters, no crash, which I always thought was really funny because, you know, there's there's like no clinical evidence really that if, if you consume hundreds of milligrams of caffeine, it doesn't matter if it's natural caffeine, synthetic caffeine, if there was something else added to it, like you, most people will feel some sort of adverse effect you're probably, most people are willing to tolerate it, but you'll feel some sense of jitteriness. You'll feel a crash when all of, when that huge clinically excessive dose is fully metabolized. Um, I was really interested in, in products and, and the rare instances where you would see someone sort of microdosing caffeine, although they didn't maybe know it. So I started getting really interested in the lozenges that like marathon runners suck on when they're running. They're sort of like leaching uh, really small amounts of caffeine into their, uh, into their body um, through the linings on their mouth and tongue. Usually it's like a gel that they're sucking on. It's kind of efficient because it's not a liquid, so you don't need to pee. It's very lightweight. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, but I knew that was not like a cool, a cool form factor that would have that shareability. And then I think I was just looking at, you know, consumer brands that I loved. I know, um, I had always really liked Binaka Blast, this like uh, super minty breath spray from the eighties and nineties. Um, and their advertising is, is amazing. Um, and I was really interested in breath sprays. I, w- I was seeing, uh, I I could see breath sprays kind of coming back into uh, cultural resonance, especially in, in sort of like a post-COVID, stick your tongue out, drooly, exuberant, maximalist uh, vibe. And then I think maybe I saw um, a cannabis spray in California, or maybe it just showed up on my Instagram feed. And it was, it was uh, you know, marketed like those clean, expensive, uh, millennial products and you know the advertisement was like someone walking their grandchildren like having this uh, breath spray it was like not at all what I was looking for but I thought damn this now this is sick it's a tiny tube that fits in your pocket it's absorbed ultra efficiently in your mouth you're not digesting it they're tiny doses you use it all day long you could share it in the way that um, you know a, a drink you could never and unlike, uh, you know, gum, a caffeinated gum or a caffeinated granola bar, which, yes, you can share, but it's really a deeply personal consumptive habit. Like, you know, sure, you would give me like a, a piece of your uh, caffeine granola bar, but you wouldn't really. Like, it would just be weird for me to ask. This breath spray makes a lot of sense as a shareable thing. If I could easily imagine, um, you know, seeing someone use this and, and wanting to try it, and them being happy for me to try theirs. Um, so I became really interested in this form factor. And then uh, I ordered a ton of spray bottles. I was sitting at home, mixing up formula, learning all about food science. I met the former head of flavor development at PepsiCo and, and he would come over to my house like during the pandemic every once in a while. And um, we would be you know mixing up stuff. It was very interesting because to make, uh, even though, uh, this breath spray, a single spray is a 
tiny microdose of caffeine, most people wouldn't feel any effect from it. We say taste five mists and then spray all day and, you know, really acclimate yourself to using this frequently. But even at these tiny quantities, a spray is so little liquid that the formulation itself is quite caffeinated. And nobody had told me so far in my obsession that caffeine is the worst tasting substance known to the human palate. Uh, like, I mean, literally like food scientists, if they want to, uh, collect data on the perceived bitterness of, uh, you know, a fucking Dorito, they'll cross test it with a chip that has like, you know, tiny amounts of caffeine on it for their focus groups. Like there's, there's, there's almost nothing that everybody universally agrees tastes bad than caffeine. And now I was realizing shit, I've, I'm trying to put a, a ton of caffeine in a liquid solution. It's very hard. It's very insoluble and it tastes so bad. So I spent a year, I mean, it's still, it's, you know, literally last week, we, we continue, we continue always iterating on our formula and improving it, but I spent forever and had uh, working on this formula and had really depressing moments of feeling like I was never going to uh, make something that tasted great. I really started to understand why energy products taste so bad all the time. Caffeine is just so bad tasting that um, the easiest way to get around it is to add a huge amount of fake sweetener and a huge amount of acidity. And, you know, you get something that is, is so comically sweet and sour that you're just like sort of not processing as much the bitterness, but those, those never really taste that good either. So I worked for a very long time on, uh, flavor development and formulation development. And now we have something that's really uniquely great tasting for, for what it is. Um, and then I was also working on brand development with, uh, the incredible designer who I collaborated with. And then the actual product development, really thinking about exactly what, what should this breath spray look and feel like, and what materials should it be made out of? How can we, you know, already this form factor is quite sustainable. It's packing the energy of, of multiple beverages, uh, into one super small, super lightweight, low carbon footprint item, but Still, I had a lot of qualms about potentially making, you know, millions of units of, of some stuff, some, some, you know, material good that inevitably people would uh, not dispose of properly. You know, e- even you might try to recycle this and live in a city where they don't recycle this type of plastic or they just don't pay to recycle uh, plastics at all. And it ends up in the landfill. Someone's going to litter it on the street. So I was really trying to game out how I could ensure that this would have a net positive impact on the environment, given that it is a, a, a physical product. Um, but yeah, I, I just spent a long time working on formulation, uh, form factor and brand. And so I see like you have a bunch of different colors. I don't know if that on the back is like the examples of like those green, blue, yellow, red, like, do you have different, by the way, I love those, like the branding and the posters. Um, Oh, thank you. Wait, let me flip. Yeah. Is it time for our office tour? Yeah, let's do it. Blaine, you're muted. (laughs) Yeah. While we're at it, why don't you give us the tour of um, the space you're working out of? And I know it definitely matches up with the brand. And for for anyone who's listening and hasn't seen it, um, you know, be sure to check out the clips because it's really something to see. But uh, I'll just describe it. It's like very vibrantly yellow um, with a lot of energy. It's like Vice City Grand Theft Auto vibes to me. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the 
the pizzazz office uh it's pretty sick it's a bright yellow room we've got uh a bunch of our product over here this is about to be launched our juicy strawberry our peach bomb our peppermint ice and sour apple i really wanted to you know pizzazz is not fl a flavor first brand in the sense that i'm not i don't want people to buy it because they think it's the most delicious delicate unique flavor they've tasted it's functional first and we don't have paragraphs and paragraphs on our website about all the functional ingredients in it it's functional in that it wakes you up if you want to wake up and you don't want a beverage or you can't have a beverage this is the product for you and it's it's so intuitively functional that we're, we're you know we don't want to over message that and i wanted to support that with flavors that are really fun and bold and classic um and so we have a whole world of of flavor and color to explore with with limited edition uh things of, of all sorts here's our oh i'm very proud of our pizzazz pillows these giant pillows uh and then yeah plenty of imagery we got a lovely little board in our office of uh instax photos of of all sorts of people who have come by and and used uh pizzazz and tried it and brought it out um yeah and there's another oh and here's our little laboratory where we do a lot of bench testing of our formula and little optimizations um, yeah, yeah, I love I love that it's so it's so vibrant in there, and clearly, um, you know, you've really expanded from the idea of like really bringing the brand and like living inside the brand as as you as you continue to build it. So, um, you know, yeah, thanks. and it's like so it's so valuable to invite you know someone that we want to do content partnership with over to this space and and they get it you know we don't have to go on and on about our brand values and what we are looking from them it's like I, either you either they'll get it or they or they won't it's, it's what is it's that really content fun to... I, sorry i was gonna you know break into that like what does those content partnerships look like for you um you know i i know you mentioned like they get it or they don't but like what does a content partnership look like for you with the you know, the people you, you partner in and what are some of those profiles? For sure. And, um, I, I w I wish I could walk back my, you get it or you don't, uh, <laughs> statement there because I, it's, you know, we're creating an, an basic, uh, an entirely new category of a uh, subcategory of products in, in this sector. And there's a lot of delicate customer education to do around explaining to someone, Hey, you know, this is worth being in your arsenal for powering up, waking up, energizing. Here's, here's what it is. Here's how you use it. Um, content is something, and you, you know, for all that I, I rag on, on uh, the, the D2C monotony that, that one that sometimes seems really like overwhelming at this moment, I love, you know, any, any, every brand should be crushing it digitally and should do it in a way that makes sense for them. So we, we're really embracing having a, you know, a, a, a rich digital world for this brand that um, supports and complements the omni-channel real life uh, convenience retail footprint that it will have. So for us, I mean, content means anything from having a website that's again, like more than anything, introducing you into the brand world that should you walk, you know, should you visit our website um, and not purchase product? That's okay in that, you know, we'll make every effort to, to find you at a store and support you there. If you, 
visit a store and you buy a tube, we'll make every effort to direct you to our website and offer you the you know, opportunity to subscribe. We only sell subscriptions on our website. If you don't want to subscribe, if you cancel your subscription, that's fine. We're, I'm not here insisting on having the lowest churn rate of all time. Um, we'll catch you somewhere else on Amazon, on GoPuff, at the bodega. Um, the That subscription version of purchase needs to be so distinct and rewarding from any other type of purchase. You need to get you know, a, a giant pizzazz tattoo when you order from pizzazz.com. You need to get a little Zaz chain to wear on your neck that connects to the cap so you can take it out on your third order. There should be a, a, a real reason to join that D2C community uh, for everyone who, who comes into the fold. And if they don't, we'll still keep them as part of our digital community and solicit content that really uh, raises up the amazing retailers who are carrying us in their stores. And, and so we, we have a very New York City-focused launch I want to own my backyard. I want to know that this product is is stocked and beloved at all of the convenience stores that that every New Yorker adores. Um, I think New York City independent convenience store culture is really unique um, and really exciting and, and a challenging but rewarding area where you can experiment, gain a lot of insights and data and and emerge really well equipped to unlock larger convenience distributors um, and explore other channels for for sales. Yeah, and Jonas, some of the things that I really like about what you guys have done today, one in terms of like form factor and how you like think about creating the product, then the next thing is once you move on from form factor in terms of like being able to build in some level of virality, the fact that it's small, it's convenient, you can take it on the go, and you can use it in a new way. The next thing is like you guys in terms of the branding definitely really stand out, whether it's like the office space we're looking at with those vibrant colors, that translates over to the website and everything that you're doing as well as the packaging as well. So it like definitely hits hard and you guys like are like, hey, we're here to stay, this is who we are. Um, and what I think that does for you guys as you continue to build is I think it, it sets the groundwork for continued growth um, in whatever other adjacent spaces you want to build down the line. Um, I think you guys have laid a really found, really solid foundation for as it comes to brand and um, you know distribution and everything like that. Oh, thank you so much. And I realize, uh, Ramon, I didn't really answer your question around content. Um, I think we're, we're looking to create a huge library of pizzazz content of zazzy individuals doing zazzy things, getting zazzed up out of their minds and what that really means. Like at, at the energy industry has always been about like strength and sex and, and strongness in a really, in what I think is a really in an in increasingly outdated or uh, manner or sort of missing the mark. And we want to continue some of those tropes, but really redefine them in a, way more contemporary, inclusive, and, and joyful way. And so for us, you know, what does what does Zazzy content look like? You know, it's not a, a glossy photo shoot of someone with makeup, like holding the product and whatever. It's like, it's someone like at a club at 2 a.m., like just with their tongue sticking straight. We can see their uvula. They're just holding the pizzazz, spraying caffeine breath spray uh, on their mouth and, 
and being pretty maximalist and, and, and wild in a fun way. And it doesn't just need to be at, at clubs, you know, it, it, this, it's something that's really makes a lot of sense when you're, you know, going for a run, when you're in the middle of a, a you know, an esports match, when you're, um, you know, like exercising, when you're studying, when you're traveling and at all these moments, really collecting, encouraging and engaging with content that is raw and realistic like our preferred creative direction for content is your iphone with the flash on and your tongue sticking way fuck out and you know just getting a close-up doesn't need to be in focus it can be really shaky like show show us that moment of of energy and what that means for you so jonah the next question i'd have is um in terms of like you know, you, you came up with the idea, you nailed the branding, you've worked through the formulation, you have the packaging, everything like that you have ready to go. Um, in terms of like quantity and how you actually like size up for and like plan the launch, like what's the strategy there? I know you have the um, availability of subs- subscriptions, purchasing on the website, locked and loaded, loaded, ready to go. But like, how much product, um, you know, were you producing, and what were like, how many, say, convenience stores, if that's the di- first distribution play, like, how much product are you making, and how many like locations are you trying to launch in in that first run? Sure. So we launched this week. <clears throat> we're planning on being in a couple hundred independent convenience stores in New York before, certainly before the end of the month, we have about 800 ready to roll. Um, we have, we're launching at 130 locations of a pretty big national retailer in a, in a week or two. I can't speak about just yet. Um, we're launching on Amazon. We'll launch on some delivery platforms. Um, and then of course we'll have the subscription opportunity live on our website which will get a lot of inbound from some digital acquisition efforts, a lot of organic flip over from TikTok um, and a little bit of Instagram. We really are, spend most of our social media hours on TikTok. Um, we will kind of take all of that and then think about how best to, you know, exactly which chains we want to go after um, that have expressed interest. Um, where regionally we're looking to go. Um, and I think it just comes down to understanding exactly where we thrive, under what circumstances, at what type of stores and channels, for what types of customers, do we blow every other energy product out of the water? You know, the, the, the product is already by far the most space efficient energy product in the store. So, you know, on a square inch basis or a cubic inch of storage um, or energy cost to a retailer, we're, we're a very profitable incremental revenue add on for them. Um, but really understanding when do we thrive and how do we you know unlock that will be really important. Our launch plan is also highly focused, like I said, on, on New York City for the next month or two. And that entails a lot of heavy sampling and seeding. I would way, way rather uh, spend my marketing dollars giving away our product to the right people at the right moment than I would, you know, serving them an Instagram ad. We've created something very social, very IRL. Um, you know, if I give these out to 10 people, 
even if nine people just straight up don't like it, the one person who does, I guarantee is sharing that tube with more than 10 friends. It's, it's like an unbelievably social product. Um, and that virality means that in-person sampling is huge for us. So, I mean, every, every night of the summer, besides a couple of Mondays and Tuesdays, when things are quite dead, we're at multiple parties going on in the city, multiple clubs, music venues, uh, sporting events, part, you know, private parties, art openings, you name it. There, there will be someone with a backpack of pizzazz putting these tubes out in the bathroom, at the check-in counter, at the bar, wherever you might stumble upon it. We have a little, all the energy drink companies have cars. Uh, you know, Red Bull's got the Mini Cooper, Monster's got this big truck. We, uh, we have a, a single electric scooter, uh, sort of like, the, you know, those... Yeah, I don't know. In New York, they're called Revels, and and we we've decked it out. It's it's ridiculously zazzy. It looks like this office. It's bright yellow. It has like ludicrously bright rainbow lights, a huge pizzazz flag, and we have you know people driving this scooter every hour of every day of the summer, going to you know parks during the day, populated intersections where we know our customers are at, and also events at night, stopping by, um, you know. At, anywhere to, to hand this out to the right people. We've, we've been to so many music venues so far uh, in, in the last couple of weeks to, to get our product placed in, in the bathrooms or at the bar or whatever. Every single one of them said, you know, uh, we're really sorry. We have a contract with, uh, you know, some other energy drink company and, and we just, we can't do this at all. And we're like, okay, fine. We're parking this scooter outside when your doors open and passing out our tubes to the coolest people in line. Um, so you were, we're super excited about doing a lot of heavy sampling and, you know, from our, from our really limited pre-launch testing of that, it's very effective. Um, it lives in, in public consciousness very well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of our launch plan. We're crushing at a ton of independent C stores, a national retailer, a few digital channels, uh, D2C, and then doing some hardcore sampling and, and, you know, supporting that with a bit of, uh, traditional D2C acquisition spend in, you know, on various channels. The thing I, I really like about it is, well, one, the, the guerrilla tactics, those are always like really fun to do. And um, I think your product is gonna lends itself perfectly to something like that. But it almost, one thing about like traditional energy drinks uh, versus you guys, which I think you have a big leg up on, is the fact that you almost have this trade off, right? Like, so a, a traditional energy drink, you're gonna, be able to buy that form factor once you're going to be able to drink it it's disposable you throw it out right um whereas you got but from a margin perspective they're like okay we're pushing way more product because you know you buy it once and then you have to buy it again again and again but from a launch perspective what i think is so smart about what you guys are doing is you have that tube and they're not throwing it out right until it's done so if you get the person and they take the um, they take a spray and they like it, they start sharing it, it's riding with them wherever they go um, for an extended period of time, which I think is really, really smart in the early days of having a product. It almost reminds me of um, kind of how like those puff bar and like jewels kind of like really caught on because people would have them, they're like, until they're out, they're gonna keep using them, right? And um, 
and it just it's just something that sticks with you. Um, so I think in terms of like form and combining that with guerrilla marketing uh, for an early stage product, um, I think it's really, uh, really a cool angle. The next question I had in regards to um, your launch for other people who might be like working on brands and thinking about starting something up and have like a launch in mind is how did you um, approach getting these partnerships with these like distributors, whether it's convenience stores or other retail ones that are ready to go with you. Was that because you've been in the food industry and you've been able to cultivate these relationships over time so you knew who to call when you had to do that from your work in consulting? Or was there a specific way that you were able to forge some of these relationships to make sure once you had product, you could um, be able to actually have distribu distribution partners right out of the gate? So I knew a lot of distributors from my previous work in food and beverage, but they're all these like fancy food and beverage chefy restaurant client type of distributors. And, um, that, you know, that's not where, who's going to carry this. So I, all of my introductions to the, the distribution world of kind of convenience store products and, and more accessible consumable goods has come about in the last year. And, Certainly, I've leaned on some amazing advisors to the project and investors um, who have introed me. I, we are not working with a distributor at launch. Again, my, my goal was to make a product that was was, was so unbelievably more portable and, and compact that, unlike a beverage, I mean, I can I, me or one of our sales reps can take a backpack, fill it with boxes of pizzazz, and they have enough for like twenty stores of Dropbox. You know, you that would be you would need a van if you have a beverage company to do that. Um, it's it's like really remarkable the how we can get away with a lot of direct with a lot of very capital efficient guerrilla sort of distribution. At, it, it really only is relevant at the at the earliest stage in the business. But my goal in doing so is to again uh, generate meaningful velocity data around. Under what circumstances does this product make us make a retailer more money than they would make if they didn't have the product? And once I can really answer that question with core data from our on the ground sales team hitting these like hundreds of bodegas in New York, then I'll feel much more confident speaking to the distributors and having better leverage with unlocking reasonable margin sharing agreements. Do you, Distributors will would probably carry this, but at, um, I mean, a couple have been interested. But at what margin sharing? You know, they, they'll ask for something crazy because they're they're making the vast majority of their revenue from just a few huge companies that sell massive quantities, but are giving the distributor a, a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. So they'll take on like almost any, you know, they'll take on plenty of new brands and not really push you at all, not help that much, take a lot, a lot of your margin. And I didn't want to get caught in that. And I also, I think I wanted to have some experience at launching, really understanding what it means to hit the pavement and deliver product and deal with people saying no and, and really firsthand start to understand what optimizations we need to make to, uh, to, to fit the market. And both of, of customers, but also of like retailers who might carry us. So when we launch, yeah, I mean, we're going to be a team of like five hitting the pavement every day, uh, visiting our bodegas, getting to know them. We have 
uh, an amazingly precise database of, you know, their name and their vibe and what store they're at, what flavors they like. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, no, it, it reminds me a lot when we were launching, when we were starting to launch Seated in the early days, we had like a database of every restaurant, the manager, their name, what time they're in, what they like and everything. And you just had to get out and hit the pavement. Um, and then one thing that you mentioned that I think is really smart is you're like, I want to be able to be on the ground and I want to be able to understand what these objections are from whether it's customers or retailers, because then I can incorporate that and learn from that and iterate that into my business. So just in the early days, like what are some of the objections that um, like I know you mentioned, for example, you approach certain venues and they're like, oh, we have a contract with another energy drink, for example. So you're like, OK, we're going to get around it by this. Um, what are some of the objections for an early stage brand who's launching um, in getting in and uh, in, in, in getting into some of these locations? Yeah, so I think independent convenience stores, which is what we're targeting when we launch, are are super interesting category of store because because they're independent. There's no buyer, there's no office that you're going to to plan out a you know okay we're going to be on the shelves for six months we're going to do a two for one deal in March and then we're going to launch it. There's there's none of that. You're just walking in. It's it's a guy. Maybe his uncle owns the store. And he's telling you, absolutely not. I'll take a free box. There's a, a hundred other new brands walking in that are offering me a free box. I don't care what your product is. If you give it to me for free, I'll put it over there in the top corner where it can collect dust for a couple months. But otherwise, I don't have time for this. When you do get in, though, it's really rewarding because you've earned uh, – an advocate for your brand who's not like a random employee of a store. They're, they're either the owner or very, very close to the owner of the store. And, and they'll really support you and ride with you um, and, and help turn over data points that are interesting and valuable about, well, you know, who exactly was buying this? Like, was it, you know, one guy who can who comes in and buys two of them a day, or is it like, three people like college students who came in once and bought the whole box and then they never came back again. Or you, know, you can really learn a lot from having an advocate in the store like that. And I think independent retailers make that a possibility. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's like a different, there's, it's a different deal pipeline than if you're approaching, you know, a chain and talking to the buying team, uh, negotiating the price, the, you know, signing a PO, uh, getting your product ready. And that's certainly, I mean, we're do, we have we have a big partnership like that rolling out in a couple of weeks and, and we'll do a lot more of that. But I find it very gratifying to work with these independent convenience or even 7-Eleven for, you know, for example, people always are like, oh, 7-Eleven would be so great for this. Um, you know, their, their office is in Dallas and it's true, their office is in Dallas, but all the 7-Elevens that I can think of near me in New York are independent franchises. You know, you just show up at the at the store, talk to the dude. They don't they're not really following a planogram or anything. And and so it, it can be fun to to chat with people. It's really challenging in New York because it's a it's a competitive landscape of new brands launching and people are often really willing to give away product for free. Um, we are happy to give away product for free to customers, you know, in all of these community marketing scenarios. I'm much more hesitant to uh, 
get retailers used to the idea of us just like slinging free boxes of product left and right. We really want them bought in on the idea and as excited as us about its success. You know, that that's uh, that's super helpful in terms of just like painting the landscape of like what it means to 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 go through a, an early launch in terms of your stage. Um, so as we wrap up here, um, I know you guys are going through this launch. Are there any other considerations, any other plans that you have in the works over the next uh, couple months as you look beyond your launch? I mean, we're already looking beyond our launch. We have a couple of amazing new flavors coming out. We have some really exciting new retailer partnerships to explore. I, I'm just super, I'm really excited to, to launch and, and start to collect feedback from our community and watch as that community grows and respond to their needs. Um, and, and, you know, create our, our only unwavering commitment is to create superior alternatives to existing energy products of which there's you know a huge, huge opportunity for whoever successfully does that. Energy is a massive industry. Caffeine is the world's most popular, safest, enjoyed drug. Um, consumer packaged goods in the energy space are really missing a, a cultural moment and an opportunity to explore new form factors, delivery mechanisms, and of course, branding. And, you know, we're, we, we have a lot of interesting, you know, new, new product ideas, um, new avenues to take to approach this mission. But for, I would say we're, I am, and, and I try to have our whole team aligned on this, really keeping ourselves quite laser focused on launching and remembering what our key objectives are. We want to be in stores doing well, building a community and driving digital interactions that everybody finds valuable and exciting and, and fun. Um, and, you know, that's what we're really focused on. So I hope anyone listening uh, who's made it all the way to the end of this, get your ass to pizzazz.com, take a look, uh, grab a bag if you like. If you don't, that's totally fine. Find us in a New York City bodega or on Amazon. Um, or on a delivery platform, yeah. Awesome, well, Jonah, thank you so much for joining us and sharing the the story about Pizzazz. Uh, what you guys are building is awesome. We're, we're excited to stay tuned with the story and how you guys continue to grow. Um, I guess, where can, our, where can our listeners connect with you, either personally or on social? Um, I know you mentioned your TikTok, like really on TikTok, but what are, what are, where are some of those locations they can reach you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, folks can follow me on Instagram or on my TikTok, or you can head to my website, jonahrider.com. Um, but in terms of pizzazz, which is where I would recommend anyone really uh, goes if they want to keep following this story. Um, yeah, you can visit pizzazz.com, P-Z-A-Z.com, or find our TikTok, Pizzazz Energy. We have an Instagram as well um, with a pretty sick Instagram filter that just launched. Um, Sweet. Awesome. Well, um, Jonah, I'm going to leave it for when I go to New York City, I'm going to pop by a bodega and buy it myself, buy the pizzazz to, to have the full experience. Thank you for being on. Um, this was a great episode. Excited for your launch and then, you know, excited to have you back on later in the future so you can break all that down for us. But we wish you the best and, and thank you for taking the time with us.
Blaine, you're muted. When when you guys are launching Miami, come down and we'll oh, yeah. uh, we'll run it back in person. Oh, definitely. I mean, expect to see us at uh, at eleven. Nice. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's awesome we'll see the we'll spot the we'll spot the electric scooter around 11. Mm -hmm. yeah we definitely need a version of this scooter in miami um i'm excited <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna send you guys some photos yeah basically everyone listening in should certainly follow along on tiktok to watch this scooter hit the streets uh, it's yeah, gonna be yeah. it's gonna be wild well thank right. you guys again thanks, for having jo me it's a real pleasure to thanks, meet, meet and chat with you bye